Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their man. lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. We can't get into this with anybody else besides team guys. So the the movies that we watch from the kids that, that that program our heads, right? So I became a medic, so I keep myself alive, right? I mean that that perfect weapon, right? I know <laughs> weapons, demolition. I keep myself alive. I know how to hunt. Blah blah blah. blah. You know all that stuff is because I was afraid. <laughs> I'm just there for, yeah. And I joined the SEAL teams because that's where the fearless, you know, the, you call it buds, call it uh, college football, you know, whatever it is. Guy, all of us. Oh, men just like us over the since the beginning of time, man. Spartans, whatever. We gravitate towards each other. Put the label on it, man. And we always seek that kind of that that place to prove ourselves. I mean, I went in there because everybody was supposed to be fearless. Come to find out, man, we're all kind of have that fear. But when you put that together, I mean, that's not just we grow those beards out, put those glasses on, and put the hat. You can't see our face. I mean, the, I, they need to put a wire on us when we jump out of airplanes. And when we get into it, you're like, oh, yeah, get that part right. <laughs> I mean, his, his face looks calm, but he is redlining a monitor right now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, take a, uh, let's take a second and introduce Clint. I'm absolutely. honored to have this guy sitting across from me today. We're really glad you could step in and help us out, buddy. Yeah. No, listen, it's an honor. It's an opportunity. It's, it's fun to be with Marcus and you and, and really, really need to be with some of the guests we get to have. And, and honestly, you know, the listeners that, that tune into this are amazing people, and it feels mm-hmm. um, pretty neat to get some time with them as well. I'll tell you what, today's guest is kind of important to, to those of us who have daughters, right? And we want them to, yeah. to be the most successful and, and powerful women on, on the planet, man. And if you have women out there already that are kind of cutting the way for, uh, for that mm-hmm. to happen, man, we, we're, we have an opportunity to have one of them on here. And the cool part about it is if you read her bio and what she's accomplished and a lot of that stuff, most everything was predicated on her fear, right? Fear of mm-hmm. just kind of whatever it was. Right. And when you're going through all this and you're reading, man, fear actually man, drove her to do when she ran for president. I don't think there's any more. I mean, that's, that's pretty big, right? That's up, that's up there. That's man. just about the top. That's heavy. Yeah. Uh, and we deal in fear all the time. I mean, that's one thing that in SEAL training, we yeah. don't ever talk about that, but it's it's designed and set up for us to harness fear. Every situation, every evolution right. is designed for that. So we knowingly put ourselves into it. And then there's people who 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 don't want to do it, but every time, every morning when they wake up and they go out, it, it, everybody has it. Everybody has the anxiety that comes with it. And um, she's she's a prime example. Of if you can harness that and, and push it in the direction you want to go, man, anything is possible. I'm excited. I'm excited, Marcus, because I think, you know, in Wizard, we, we have an opportunity here to 
as, as men who are raising daughters, right? And men who are incredibly well married. Uh, you know, Mel's amazing. My bride's amazing. Um, but also, you know, who have been heavily influenced by strong women. I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's amazing. It's going to be really neat to be on the phone with a lady who has redefined what is available to my daughters to pursue and, and to be able to find out where that came from and what the origin of those things are and, you know, all that other stuff. And we have such reverence and respect for women. I, I, I tell you, I don't, there's not a man on the planet I fear, but I'm, I'm terrified of my bride. Mm. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah, I'm not, and I'm, I'm scared of your mom too, Marcus and, uh, and Mel. And well, uh, I mean, what do you so think? Uh, what do you think created, created us molded, made us, I yeah, mean, that's right. The, the strength that we have from the, the, all the women in our family. It, I, I came from one of those families where everyone was always around. Our kin live all the way around here. So these get passed off to, to the women. They, they set us in the direction we want to go. And then the men's job was just to enforce that. And that's, that's, right. that's kind of what we do now. I mean, Mel runs the show. And then as soon as I hear the word or get the look, then I enforce. That's it. Yeah. Well, it's like the, there's a great book. Everybody ought to read it called Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. And there's a moment in the book where King Leonidas is talking about the strength of Sparta. And he ticks through these things about why Sparta is so great. And, he, and he, is it the, the strength of the men? Is it the fact that they're professional soldiers? And the conclusion he comes to in the whole monologue is the strength of Sparta isn't the men. It's the women. Because when they go to Thermopylae and they fall, and they will fall, everyone knew that, all of Greece will look to Sparta. And if the women fall, Greece will fall. But if the women stand, all of Greece will stand. Mm. So the whole pivot point of Thermopylae was the strength of the women, right? And and I think that's what's amazing and what's so exciting, what's going on in our nation right now is this celebration of an empowerment of the strength of women and you know this both of you guys know this every place we go to fight every place we go to just get it on this is not diplomacy it's not mm. digging wells if we're going to get it on those places have three things in common you have the suppression of critical thinking they don't let people think for themselves and learn mm. you have limited opportunities for advancement and you have the marginalization and suppression of women and where you see that you're going to find guys like us That's in the middle true. of the night coming and encouraging you to make better decisions and so it's fun to be on the phone shortly with a woman who's kind of set pace, man. I mean, and, and she's not the only one. There's amazing ones. Uh, she's certainly she's certainly done her part. It's intimidating. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. Yeah, she's she's definitely outside our typical wheelhouse of experience here, coming from the business world. I'm going to have to change some of my Mad Minute questions. I'm going to have to change some of my Mad Minute questions. <laughs> we might have sure. to make them a little oh, more know, conservative. What if we go, on, but... go down a rabbit hole and she corrects us? Now, gentlemen, that's not... Yeah, I don't she know will. if I can handle she that kind should. of rejection. No. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's uh, let's take a real quick yeah. second. I'm sure I'm sure most everyone out there is familiar with, with Carly Fiorina. Uh, but let's do a real quick kind of career arc to get everybody up to speed and on the same page. She is obviously much more than simply a presidential candidate, Texas girl in the 2016 election. What up? Yeah. She was born here in Austin. Uh, she, her, her father was uh, very prominent in, in law. Uh, he was, uh, he was a, he was a professor. He was at one point deputy, uh, U S attorney general, as well as 
a judge on the um, Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals for the United States. Did a lot of traveling, so she had the opportunity to grow up around the world um, in different locations. Uh, eventually, she decided after education and whatnot that she was going to work for AT&T as a management trainee. She moved uh, up the company ladder, became the first female officer in something that, that was completely, um, at that time, male-dominated. You sure what I said? And I'm not talking about the Mississippi Institute <laughs> of Technology. I'm talking about the Massachusetts one. And Mara, I just saw this. And Stanford. Yeah, she's got a BA from Stanford, MBA from the University know. of Maryland. And a master's of science from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Yeah, just, just MIT. MIT. No big deal. And she didn't have to play football for any I, of those. Hey, I used to. Hey, I went there. <laughs> it's a tough school. I used to fill out all these problems on the chalkboards that no one else could figure out. Yeah. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it. Loosely but, placed on. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually she climbs the company she climbs the company ladder at AT&T she becomes the first female op, female officer in their uh, network systems division which was unheard of at the time this was 1998 um, put in charge of, of Lucent's global uh, service provider division a year later after working at that company she was tapped by Hewlett Packard she was pulled over to be their CEO um, handled a, a merger which there's a little controversy around it. However, still a massive merger. I think it was, uh, it was, it set a record at the time for its size with compact computers. And then she goes on following that she gets into politics and everyone knows, uh, she was a candidate in this last round of elections. That's hey, it. So, that's all. God dang. And th- what is something about how, I mean, the, the fear she had for most everything she'd get up and go do. And then, I think I did read something uh, amazing. Yeah. I mean, this you talk about what we're going to learn from her, and that's how to harness fear and push it in, you know, into a fuel. Yeah, I do remember reading something about um, she spoken about the importance of that being a critical skill that she had developed and then relied on was always pushing through those barriers which were fear to her, and then becoming proficient at that. African American Leadership Academy and Educational Institute in South Africa. Caravan for Kids, transportation program to aid seriously ill children. Good 360. I mean, it just keeps going. Man, She's listen. using her time. Yeah. She's using her time. Let's get her on here, man. I, I want to hear the, the the gray areas and all this. Absolutely. Want to? Yeah, let's do it. What do you say, Clint? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. For me as a guy who's kind of love my bride really well and raised three amazing daughters it's really really fun to be on the phone with someone who i think is kind of set pace and and um been a ceiling smasher so this is a this is a lot of fun for me i was really excited about it uh my daughters are all they looked you up yesterday and and my wife's a big champion of yours so this is a lot of fun for us well, first of all, Bruce, thank you, and Marcus as well. You guys are uh, setting me up here. Uh, I mean, what could be better than to get on the phone with two gorgeous guys who tell three, I'm sure, but uh, who tell you how awesome you are. So be on the program. Yeah, her camera's not working. <laughs> no, she has no camera to see you. You may be looking at one of the old <laughs> yeah. So, Carly, yeah. one thing we really like to do with our guests is called the Mad Minute. The Mad Minute is a uh, series of series of rapid fire questions. Um, just throw out the first thing that comes to your mind. We do this to get everybody warmed up, get the uh, 
break the ice a little bit, if you will, before we get into the more serious topic of what's your never quit story. So, all right, all right Clint, you want to kick this off? Clint, go ahead, brother. See, this, this is exactly what I'm talking to you about. Like, I, I'm literally intimidated to ask Carly the Mad Minute questions because I'm like, <laughs> normally I'm not afraid of, but now it's like, uh, I wonder if she thinks my question's cool or is it not cool? <laughs> no. Hey, Carly, one of, one, of the, one of the questions I love to ask you, like I said, these are really rapid fire, is if you could go back 10 years and have dinner uh, with somebody, who would that be on the in your personal or your professional life? Do they have to be alive? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Okay. Well, then I would start with Beethoven. Oh, wow. Interesting. Why Beethoven? Well, because, because first of all, I love his music, but mm-hmm. he was a very uh, tortured soul in many ways, and you could hear that struggle in his music, and he overcame tremendous Hurdles. I mean, he was stone cold deaf when he composed his best music. He was separated from the woman he loved all his life. So it's sort of a tragic life in many ways. And yet he produced this soul lifting music. And so I think he would be very interesting to talk to. Fascinating. Great answer. Ready? First car. First car. Oh, a red Toyota Celica. Probably still Strong. running. Still Probably running. still Probably on still the running, road. Yeah. I, no? I, was, yes. I was pretty old when I got my first car. So, you know, I was in my 20s, and hmm. so I wasn't one of these 15, 16-year-olds with a car. It took me a long time to buy a car. So you, you know that I really, really loved my husband when he sold that car when we were married and didn't even tell me he was going to do it, and I'm still with him. Mm. Yeah, that is love, mm. man. Yeah, that's mm. that's love on your part. That's that's guts yes, or craziness exactly. on his. Yeah, he should find that and, and it should be an anniversary present. Yeah, if he listens to this, that's well, a tip. There you I, go, buddy. You know, he, he still suffers for that. See, there you <laughs> go right true. there. <laughs> Maybe it's more yeah. valuable in that yeah, context. Right there, Let's find that thing for him. So yeah. most influential teacher, K-12. through 12. I mean, there was one teacher that just empowered you, encouraged you, and began to inform your vision of who you wanted to be. K-12, through 12, who was that teacher? Miss Dunlavy, second grade. The thing I most remember her, see, now you'll know I'm a girl. I remember being transfixed by her sweater set, and she had this little pearl thing that held her sweater together that I just thought was awesome. And so then I started paying attention to her because I thought she was a really cool girl. Would you That's think the perfect teacher attire back in the day? That that kind of represents that, right? That pearl snap with the it has a gap underneath it, right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So bling butterflies on each end. You know, if you're a second grade girl, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> Were you a very detail oriented child? Uh, you know, focus was something that came very easily to you. That's something that uh, when when you look at development of children, it's it's uh, indicative of how they'll do in the future. Yes, I I was very detail oriented and still am very detail oriented. Hmm. Is my turn? All right, ready. Favorite movie character you like to play out in real life? Favorite movie character that I would like to play in real life? Boy, these are I don't know. These are really hard questions. Favorite movie character? I, I'd have to be able to fly. I definitely have to fly. 
you know, not in an airplane. I mean, I have to fly. I always used to dream about flying, and if I were going to play a movie mm. character, it has to be a flying character. Maybe not the flying nun. That isn't quite what I have in mind, but... <laughs> the Gidget? Um, I remember that. It's not a superhero. Hmm. Yeah, well, Gidget was another... was a different show, but the same character. So I don't know. I'm not answering your question, but... If I have to believe, then I have to believe I can fly, you know? Cool. All right, that's the Mad Minute. Yeah, I know it was. <laughs> All okay. right, anyway. Well, it took me, it took me a little bit longer than a minute. <laughs> All right. So now what we like to do is we like to get into the meat potatoes of the whole deal. And as I was explaining earlier, we bring amazing people on here and, and listen to their stories of, uh, of adversity and, and the challenges in their life and how they got through them. And then we kind of break that down. So just getting to it. Can you please tell us your greatest never quit story? Well, I've had a lot of them, I think. And I think getting brave, being brave is a process. At least it has been for me. Um, my first one, I won't tell you all of them unless you want me to, but my very first one, you know, I started out as a secretary in business. And so when I got out of the secretarial pool and I went off and got an MBA and I landed as an entry-level salesperson in a big, big company called AT&T, a million employees. And I didn't feel particularly qualified. There weren't very many women. So I didn't feel particularly welcomed. And I, you know, just wanted to keep my job. Honestly, I went to work every day. Please let me keep my job. And um, I was given a set of clients as an entry-level salesperson. And I had a um, male colleague. He was a lot older than I was. I'm now older than he was at that time, sadly. But to me at the time, he seemed quite old. And he didn't much like the idea of working with me. So it came time to meet our clients for the first time. And I was very much looking forward to meeting the client because that meant I was really doing my job. And that day he came to my desk and he said, um, I'm sorry. I know you were looking forward to this meeting, but you're not going to be able to come. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, you know, the customer's always right. And they've made a request to go to this very specific place for lunch and you can't come there. Hmm. And it turned out it was a strip club. Hmm. Uh, I was kind of terrified, you know, cause I felt huh. I was being told I couldn't do my job. I didn't want to go to a strip club. I was going to feel like a fool. And so I sat for a long time and wondered what I should do. And I finally decided I needed to go. I needed to stand up and do my job. And so I dressed extremely conservatively that day. And this was a place where uh, the young ladies would dance on top of the tables while the patrons were having lunch. And so I'm wearing, you know, my little severe suit and my bow tie and um, carrying a briefcase. I mean, I looked like a fool. And my colleagues kept, and I'm trying to act professional and serious. And my colleague kept asking the young women to come dance on the table. And as each one of them would approach, they'd kind of look over the situation. 
And every one of them said, basically, not till the lady leaves. Mm. And I stayed there till about two out for about two hours, and then I went back to my desk. And um, we never talked about that. My colleague and I never talked about that day ever again. But we became great teammates because he'd thrown down a gauntlet. He'd issued a challenge. And I decided I couldn't let him intimidate me. There have been many other things I've been afraid of in my life. I mean, a lot of things I've been afraid of. I think most people are afraid of things. I was afraid of people saying bad things about me in public. Oh, I've lived with that one over and over. Um, you're afraid of failing. You're afraid of being foolish. You're afraid of looking foolish. I learned in the course of my life that every time you walk through one of those moments when you're afraid, you're less afraid the next time. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I have to say, everything I've ever been afraid of has happened to me. No, afraid of that stupid little incident. Uh, I was afraid I'd lose my mother unexpectedly. I did. Um, Criticized globally in the media. I have been. More profoundly, I was afraid of getting cancer. I did. We're all afraid of losing a child. I have. Yeah. But now I know that if you can walk through them, the fear is less the next time. And I'm not afraid of anything now. And I also know there are, bless- there are blessings in all of those times. Mm. There are blessings in all of those times. Just like in that strip club, the blessing was to me. The blessing was these young women who would say, not till the lady leaves. That was a blessing to me. Taught me something very important about people's ability to empathize. You know, that's that's such an amazing string of, what's so fun for me when we have an opportunity is when we have an opportunity to visit with people, that's a really hard question. Hey, what's your greatest never quit story? Especially with someone who has some wisdom and some years under their belt. It's like, which one do I talk about the most? The, the single red thread that kind of runs through everything you just said was this concept of fear. And one of the things you hear Marcus and I talk about, what most of us talk about is there, there's, when we say fear management, it's, it's, it's not fear suppression. It's not being fearless. It's not, not having fear. It's what do you do when fear comes? Because fear is coming. And really in our training, really it's, it's, it's the study of aphobia, meaning not never being afraid because that's not realistic. And, and frankly, that's not even healthy. It's what do you do once you encounter that thing you're most afraid of? And, and it's like your life one moment after another, you just said something really significant a few seconds ago where you said everything that I was afraid of eventually happened. So your life has really just been this progression from overcoming one fear to the next fear, to the next fear, to the next fear, and doing that in a way that's very public and allows. And that's one of the things I've enjoyed watching you do and enjoy being able to look at you and go, Hey, look how she did this out loud. I mean, when you struggle internally, it doesn't really help anybody, but when you struggle out loud, you're setting pace and, and you're equipping. That's one of the things I love so much about Marcus, what Marcus has done and his brother Morgan, just, they just live it out loud. Right. And when you have brave men living their fears out loud or living the things they're wrestling with out loud, it gives everybody else permission to wrestle with the same things. Mm, good point. Well said. Good point. Well said. Not about me, about Marcus. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, is this a, where did this come from? This ability or 
willingness to confront fear. Is this an organic uh, development that just one day you decided you were going to take this on and just developed it from there? Or did you learn from an example in your past? Um, could you talk to that a little bit? Well, um, an interesting question. I was, I was a shy, scared, goody two shoes, middle child. You know, I was afraid of so many things and, um, you know, maybe most fundamentally not measuring up in some way. Um, But when I was a little girl, my mother said to me, what you are is God's gift to you. What you make Mm -hmm. of yourself is your gift to God. Oh, that's profound. And that, her words were an incredible challenge to me. That, you know, as someone I didn't feel very gifted, you know, what somehow I, somewhere I have gifts, I have to find them. But they were also a promise. You know, you have them. You have them. Um, and I think I got to a point where, you know, once a little fear, you're, you know, I used to be afraid as a child. I used to be afraid when my parents weren't home. And then I would get through that. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe because I was afraid of so much, every time I got through it, I felt that little sense of triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I got to be an older person in college, a young woman spreading out in the work world, I figured out I loved challenge. I mean, I got to the point where I kind of liked taking things on that I didn't know whether I could do. Mm. Um, Honestly, I think part of it for me, overcoming fear, I think part of it is just practice. Mm-hmm. The, the best yeah. analogy I can come up with now is, is working out at the gym. If you, wow, working out in the gym can be this big thing in your head, or you can just go do it. And when you do it, the more you do it, the more you want to do it, the more you can do it. Uh-huh. I think fear is a little bit like that. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, I love that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I talk to when, I, when we get to go talk to companies and when we go talk to organizations, I, I use curiosity as a context to take on this concept of fear. We call it curiosity intellectual courage because it's the precursor and co-equal to physical courage. And it's not, I'm not diminishing physical courage when I say that. I mean, I'm, I'm you know sharing the screen with two of the bravest men I know and, 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 you know, and, and Morgan, Marx's brother, I mean, I understand physical courage. The one thing I would say about physical courage is brave because you had to be. Um, intellectual courage, curiosity is so amazing because even this day as a 43-year-old man with some things under my belt, some accomplishments, I still get uh, that moment of kind of butterflies when you're about to raise your hand and ask a question in a room full of people you know. And so I love curiosity as a counterpoint to fear. For me, curiosity is a way to rep that courage muscle where you're overcoming fear every day. And, and as a woman who is really setting pace in the private sector, um, I, did you find it easy to ask questions when you didn't understand something? Did you find 
an apprehensiveness to ask questions when you wanted to learn? Or is that something you just took on and go, hey, in order to be good at this, I need to understand this. So here's the question. Have you been a very curious person most of your professional and personal life? So I, I love everything you just said about curiosity. First, I am a curious person. And I think that um, it comes from the fact I had the great opportunity, although it didn't always feel that way at the time, to meet a lot of different kinds of people. And so that made me curious because I would meet these fascinating people. I also, um, and so I knew when I would go into new situations, there's going to be somebody interesting here. Um, but I also think that I have a lot of, maybe because I've met so many people, even as a young person, I have a lot of faith in other people. I have a lot of faith and confidence to have answers, potential possibilities. What I, what I get frustrated by and what has always helped me overcome my fear is I can't, I don't like problems that fester. I don't like unsolved problems because virtually every problem has a solution. And most of the time, problems are left to fester because people don't have imagination to mm -hmm. challenge the status quo that leaves the problems alone, or they don't have the courage to challenge the status quo. Mm. Because the status quo is powerful, always, always. And so I would go into these situations, and I always had to ask questions, to your point, because I never knew very much of it. Imagine this young woman shows up for the first time. She used to be a secretary. Or, I mean, I, or running for president for the first time. You know, um, you have to ask a lot of questions to learn. No matter how smart you think you are, there's always something else to learn. As chief executive going into a meeting, the first thing I do is start asking questions. I never assume I know it all or know enough, but I always am focused on what is the problem and how do we solve the problem? And generally speaking, you can't either identify the problem or solve the problem without asking a lot of questions first. And then you have to find a way to collaborate with other people. And generally in the collective wisdom, there's an answer but you can't get to that collective wisdom and you can't get to that answer unless you're curious about what other people think and other people know and you ask enough questions to find out. Mm. And have a respect for those opinions as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And respect for, for the potential that they have that they may not know yeah. they have, by the way. In our community, we, you know, we, there's an expectation uh, that you're, that you're, you know, the reality is if you've got a great plan, it can take anybody's questions. And a lot of times your plan gets made better by the questions in, in our community, in the special That's operations right. community, because we're in a small unit, you never know when this one pearl of information is going to come out of someone's origin story. And we have this expectation in our community to just ask why and what for and how those things refined by scrutiny. So for, for me, I, I question someone's real ability to lead if they can't take and don't encourage questions. Uh, with my daughters, you know, we always talk about, you know, how we how do we raise brave girls, right? We put them in the backyard and, and uh, you know, spray them in the face with a water hose. We don't do that. We 18. We'll do that when they're 18. But the biggest thing we do with our girls, or I try to do with my girls at the end of every day, go, hey, how many girls, how many questions did you ask today? And, and how many questions did you ask today? Because for me, curiosity is, you know, 
Marcus, you know, Wizard, you remember this, the, the oldest guys in the platoons tended to ask the most questions. And most of the time they were right. asking questions about stuff they already knew. Sure. But what they were doing is they were they were creating an environment where the expectation was find out what you don't know. I mean, I'll never forget this one of my first platoons. My second platoon, the chief at the very beginning of the workup, someone goes, this is an M4 rifle. Who doesn't know how to use one? And, you know, Dano raised his hand because I don't know how to use an M4. Well, he'd done more platoons than any one of us. We knew he knew how to use an <laughs> M4. What he was doing is he was setting a tone. He's like, ask questions, boys, because, you know, you got to learn this stuff because we don't have time to fail. And it's neat to see you kind of set that pace in the things you've led as well. Marcus, what are you about to say? All right. Sorry, I've been quiet over here, but I, I, I've just been laughing at the bitter irony of the fact that people tune into this thing because I am brave. I mean, I don't know if this is fortuitous or not, Carl, that you had to come on here and tell everybody that, you know, you're the most, one of the most powerful women around that you're afraid of everything. <laughs> My brother and I were born real, real early and, and way behind the power curve. I was afraid of everything my entire life because of how little was. I'm talking about, I was afraid of when my dad would come home, when he would wake up. Anything and everything was just terrifying to me. And, and, the, and what I learned to do was to, to harness that. I mean, I would go out and experience that fear that I still have to this day. The only difference is I know exactly what to do in the situation that causes me that fear. And by the way, if something causes you that much fear, it's in your life. Just imagine what happens if you face that, turn that around and use that fear that turns it into an energy and pushes you in the direction that you want to go. And it, it, it's, it's a matter of, I don't know, is being brave. I, sure. I tell myself that all the time, like all else fails, everything falls apart. Just be brave. But that's the time you remember everything you'd ever learned in a situation that you had had fear and remembered it and applied it. And just like you said, every time you go through one of those situations, you took something from it. It's one of those deals that just builds armor on the inside and it, it, it propels you into situations that you know are going to probably cause you more fear than you can handle. And that's the difference between being afraid and, and keeping that fear close to you. Being afraid, you'll just slobber and do nothing. But once you learn how to harness yeah, that, that it's, it's, that's what you have. That's your ability. And you've done great at it. Carly, that's a great distinction. That's a great distinction that Marcus just said there. And I'd love for you to expound on this. Mark, Mark Twain once said the difference between the right word and the nearly right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And for we've heard Marcus now talk about this and, and wizard. Fear is real. Fear is nothing to run away from. It's, it's just this deal. Afraid is what everyone, unafraid is the word I try to teach my daughters. I don't teach them fearless. It's, it's just that's fearless is, is, is not always a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. If a bear is chasing you in the woods, fear is an appropriate response. What people are trying to do is become unafraid. And so you got to have fear. And then what do you do after that? How have you, how would you draw a distinction between uh, fear and being afraid? And because your whole life is about managing the landscape between that primal feeling. And then, you know, we define courage as action in the face of fear. Right. And so it's, it seems like you've just kind of been the person that's, never run from fear. You just looked at fear as an opportunity to, just like Marcus said, I mean, we don't teach fearlessness in the special operations community. Like we want you to have that sense of awareness, that situation awareness. We just want you to action in the face of that. How have you, when you're leading your companies, we're leading us, how do you teach that? How do you equip people to do that themselves? Well, um, first I, I, I'm just loving listening to you guys <laughs> And um, I, I apologize, Marcus. I didn't know your wife was in the room, but hello. No, no, I, 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 <laughs> um, 
Hi. One of the things that I thought about listening to you, Marcus, is, you know, there's a reason the Bible talks so much. I mean, there's the reason we're told so often in the Bible, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, because everyone has fear. It's part of the human condition. And I do think one of the, one of the really important impacts of the work that you're doing and what I try and tell people in all the work that I do is just to reassure people that when you're afraid, you're not unique. You're not alone. Everybody's afraid. And I think for some people, that's a revelation. I think people somehow imagine, oh, I am, I am riven with fear and no one else is. So I think the first thing I have learned to help myself, but also to help others is everyone's afraid. Everyone has fear of something. Amen. And most of us in, in settings that have nothing to do with our physical well-being, you know, where most of us can't be Navy SEALs, but maybe a lot of us work in an office or we work in the home or we work in retail. The fears that so many of us have are looking foolish. Mm-hmm. making a mistake, having people make fun of us. There are all these fears that become enormous hurdles to people. So everyone has them. You're not alone. That, that's helpful to people to know that. Secondly, I think it's helpful to be able to name your fear. What is mm-hmm. it I am afraid of? At least that's when I sat, you know, the first time I had to go to the strip club, I sat in the ladies' room by myself for a couple hours. And I finally kind of got myself to, okay, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of here? Okay? I'm afraid of looking like a damn fool. But hmm. what I turned out, what it turned out I was more afraid of was not being able to do my job. Hmm. The mental exercise I always go through when I'm afraid of something is, What's the worst thing that can happen? Exactly. That's and I fantastic. analyze that. What is the worst thing that can happen here? So that I'm prepared for the worst thing that can happen. And then, I, you know, when I, got, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I mean, I'm a person of deep faith. And so my faith, Jesus helps me through a lot of fear. But I also needed when I got cancer, for example, I had to sit there and face it. What's the worst thing that can happen? I can die. Mm-hmm. I can die before I'm ready. And only when I can name that, think about it, internalize it, whether it's going to the strip club or dying, then I can get on to, okay, what's something else that might happen? And what can I do? What's under my control? Mm-hmm. what's my choice that can create perhaps a different outcome? When, when our daughter died, I learned she struggled with addiction. And for anyone who's been through that struggle with themselves or a family member, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's an agonizing journey in battle. I said earlier that there are blessings in all things and, and one of the blessings for me in that whole 
tragedy was not just to learn how many other people have dealt with the same thing and how kind and compassionate so many people can be, but to be reminded, to really be reminded that the only thing any one of us control are our choices. That's all. Mm. But that's also everything in life. So we each control our choices. And if you control your choice, then you can control how you respond to fear. Mm. I I think if there was a common theme that runs through almost every guest we have on this show, it's choice. Too successful, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it comes coming down to mental attitude. Yeah, it's on them. Absolutely. The power. We just talked to Dewey Bazella the other day in prison for 26 years unjustly and um, eventually was released. And he had that moment where he just said, I'm going to turn myself around. This is my choice. This is what I have power over. And that's what I'm hearing. Like when you're talking about what's the worst that can happen and then taking, sounds like ownership of that, or at least recognizing that and that fortifying you um, to move forwards. Well, you know, you, so facing fear, learning to be unafraid to use that term. I think you have to come to grips with yourself But I also think a big part of it, and I think this is a huge part of leadership as well, and you can't lead if you're consumed by your fears, you have to have confidence and faith in other people too, a lot. You know, I've been around long enough now to know it. I've learned it over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) There's always, there's always someone in any situation, and frequently there's more than one someone in every situation who you can count on if you can connect with. And it's how problems get solved. It's how people get saved. You pick your situation, and I, you know what I'm talking about. The, the world that you come from, you rely on each other as much as you rely on yourself. Mm-hmm. But that is key. I've learned in every situation. Mm. One of the things I love that you just said here, Carly, I, I, for me, you know, curiosity, vulnerability, and authenticity is permission to tag someone else into the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have people that are available to you and, and you're facing something really bad, it's, it, it's, why would you ever disadvantage yourself in that conflict by not letting other people into that fight alongside you who have more experience, more wisdom? Well, I mean, Marcus and Wizard would tell you, like, one of the things, like, I don't like being around a guy that's not nervous when they should be. But we're about to do something that's pretty, yeah, right? you know, <laughs> like, I, the guy that's not nervous when he should be, I'm like, hey, he's either missing something or he's in on a joke that I don't know. Yeah, we just hide it. Like, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I was like, hey, man, you shouldn't be okay with this. Like, why are you okay with this? You know? Because it's not, you know, that expression of fear, that acknowledgement of, hey, man, this makes me really nervous. I mean, all you're doing is is rolling that, uh, giving permission to that environment, and you're you're giving people an opportunity to wade back in. And I think sometimes people confuse leadership and get leadership wrong. And they think that leadership is being a person who knows the most. And the best leaders I've ever been around have been the most receptive, the most curious, the most forthcoming with Hey, I mean, we had these great combat leaders and they would come like, Hey boys, how are we going to do this? Or Hey ladies. And, and what's really awesome about you, you know, going to the Naval Academy when I went to the Naval Academy and seeing these incredible women that were classmates of mine. I mean, one, 
but she runs all of Under Armour for Canada. She's amazing. And another one was a, one of the first F-18 fighter pilots, and she worked at the agency, and now she's over at Fox News, and she helped me get through calculus, and it's a little upsetting because she says that's the hardest thing she's done. I'm like, no, it had to be harder to land on an aircraft carrier at night. She's like, nope, getting you through calculus was harder than that. But it's um, <laughs> it's it's leadership is being the first be the first person in the room that's not afraid to look stupid. And whether that's a question or whether that's a line in the sand or whether it's a this and no further, or whether that's a calling, and that's kind of what you've done over and over. How much of that did you get exposed to? I mean, you're very worldly. I mean, even your your I mean, five high schools, one in Ghana. I mean. Was your exposure to the inequity and the disparity of, of, of just kind of between men and women and, and races all over the world, that kind of informed us that, hey, this and no further mentality you have, this, hey, I'm going to take a stand and, and what's the worst that can happen? And am I willing to create that pain to make this promise? Do you think your international exposure as a young person was influential and in you feeling the way you do about that? Well, I, yes, I, I'm sure it was. I, you know, I first of all, I tend to think about. I think I've, I hope I've gotten better over time. To me, you know, it's not a single moment or a single story. It's this sort of long progression of learning things. And but the thing that's common for me throughout that whole progression is um, the the people I've met along the way and the possibilities that were revealed in unexpected ways. So let me mm. try and make that more clear. I remember you mentioned Ghana a couple of times. So I remember being in Ghana. I was 15, 16 years old. Um, we were in, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of people that looked like us around. In fact, there were our family and one other family. And, there was incredible poverty and um, also my father was teaching in a law school there, a very beautiful university. So there was a huge disparity, huge contrast everywhere we looked. Anyway, not to belabor this, but I remember sitting on the back porch of our little house and this little boy would walk across the back you know, behind our house every day. And he was barefoot and he was, he was just a little boy from some village somewhere. And eventually to make a long story short, we started talking and there was this African board game called Awari. And we would play this game. Time went on and we would sit and play this game on the porch this kid, I mean, I think about him to this day, he was incredibly smart and strategic and charming and engaging. He had so much potential. He had so many God-given gifts. Everybody has them. Everybody has more potential than they realize. That is a core mm. truth. Everyone has more potential than they realize, more potential to overcome fear, more gifts than they realize, perhaps. And so I've just learned that over and over and over and over. And so when I've gone into a new situation, whenever I've gone into a new situation, 
I've always had this core certainty that what we needed to make it better, we were going to find. That I was going to find it in other people. I would find it in myself. In other words, that the circumstances, no matter what they were, the circumstances had within them possibilities and potential to make those circumstances better. And ultimately, I think the highest calling of a leader is to see those possibilities and to unlock that potential. And mostly that means you have to unlock the potential of other people to see Mm -hmm. the possibilities as well and to act on them. And as often as I've done that, I've never been disappointed in people. I mean, people can disappoint me. Don't get me wrong. But if you're focused as a group of people on finding the possibilities to make circumstances better. I have never seen a circumstance where the potential wasn't there to actually solve a problem and make it better. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it always comes out the way you want it to. Doesn't mean it's not without difficulty or danger. But the potential is always there for real improvement. The question is, can you unlock it? Oh, that's great. Car- Carly, one of the things you just said, and I think it's a I think it's a distinction that I want people to hear is you talk about the whole concept of you've never been disappointed in people. And and what I heard you say is there have been individuals that have disappointed you along the way. Yeah, exactly. But that's people right. yeah. as people people as a resource have never disappointed you. I mean, we're God's plan A. People are like, what do you think God's plan is? I'm like, look around, man. That's plan A. We're it. Like, let's go to the work, find the problem, take the rich line, get to work, right? We're God's plan A. And what I heard you say is People as a resource, people as the primary problem-solving solution on the planet, you've never been disappointed in people's capacity to amaze you with their creativity, their care, their empathy for each other. I, I tell people all the time when I'm in New York, I like New York City saved America in the first three days after 9-11 because the bad guys did not anticipate people running towards the building. Now, the professionals ran to the building, the firefighters, the police officers, the Port Authority. I mean, these are amazing men and women. But what they don't understand is the shopkeepers that opened up their shop and just made their total inventory available. One of the things I love about our nation is you typically see our best at our worst. And I wish that wasn't the case. But when the worst things happen, the best in us come around. And that's what I heard you say when you talk about you've never been disappointed in people. Because that thing that unites, every once in a while you get fired up and you just go to YouTube and you watch these, you know, uh, People are amazing, and you just get so encouraged by those things. And that's what I heard you say. Uh, That's exactly right. And people have that capacity in something other than a terrible terrorist attack. So you're exactly right. Yes, individuals can be incredibly disappointing. And some individuals are not evil people, but most aren't. To solve problems. I mean, let's just continue that analogy for a moment. To solve problems, people's potential, their capability, their capacity, their imagination, their courage, their collaboration, their creativity has to get focused on the problem in front of them. And when people, when potential is focused on a a worthy goal, a common purpose, I have never been disappointed. Hmm. I think what frequently happens is instead of focusing our potential 
on common goals and worthy purpose, whatever that is, we too often punt. We too often say, someone else is going to fix that for me. It's someone else who's going to do it. We do that to politicians a lot, honestly. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, our politicians are going to fix it for us. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we have just so the, your 9-11 example again. I think we have the potential to solve the problems that plague our communities and our companies and our families. We have the potential to solve those problems. The question is, do we? Do we focus ourselves, our potential? Is the leadership there? Is the problem-solving capacity there? Are the resources there? We've been talking about poverty in this country for decades, and we've spent trillions of dollars trying to alleviate it. We still have it. It's arguably worse. Hmm. Or drug addiction that we were talking about before. There, There are many problems that infect our communities. Politicians aren't solving them. The capacity mm. to solve them, we definitely have. And when human capacity, all the way back to what you asked me, when human capacity is focused on a worthy purpose and a common goal, I've never been disappointed. Mm. Oh, we're a byproduct of ourselves. I mean, we, you said we, we punt early. We teach ourselves that all the way up to the pros. You know, something we're almost there, punt it down. I mean, that's a, it's a trickle down. Everything's in our head about how to do certain things that's relative to something that we just watched. And Here's the deal. The United States is great because we have people set aside specialists to deal with certain problems. That's why most people don't interfere with other with, with other stuff's going on. But when our manpower is overwhelmed, like 9-11, when our firefighters and police officers, when you take them down and, you're, and, and oh, everything is broken loose, the entire country will stop on its axis and face that. Just like 9-11, man. When everything falls apart, where there's not a plan in this country, we all come together. That's That's why we do that. When we, we don't do it before that because if a terrorist attack, well, we have the police. And then after that, it's a SWAT team and so forth and so on who have been specifically trained so I can go and join myself over here and be this. And when all that goes away, man, we the, the love behind the red, white, and blue, that's that's what no one can see. You, you can never see it until you hit us like that. Yeah, and by the way, the other thing that I think you're exactly right, Marcus, the other thing that I think is totally unique about America, the red, white, and blue as a nation, in our DNA, we are self-selected in America to challenge the status quo and solve problems and innovate. That's what this nation's been built on. People came here originally to solve the problems that they were experiencing. But if you think about it, generation after generation after generation of Americans has challenged the status quo solve problems that haven't been solved elsewhere, innovated in ways that don't happen elsewhere. I think there are so many things that make us unique as a nation. One is that we don't believe people are defined by their circumstances. They're defined by their choices. Hmm. But the other thing I think that makes us unique is as a nation, we see possibilities. We always Hmm. see possibilities. More often than not, step up to seize those possibilities. And we do it with people, many of whom, most of whom perhaps would be looked at and considered completely unremarkable. Mm. And yet we all are. We all can be. You just closed that. So uh, wizard touched on it. People have been talking the, the, 
the phrase choice. Everyone's been saying that, right? And that's what we have in this. That's all. When you boil everything down, Constitution, everything that we have is you have a choice here, right? All the white noise that gets thrown on top of politics, the celebrities, everything like that. Bottom line is if you are born here, you have a choice to become great or not. And all the hurdles and stuff that's put in the way, that's that, while well, you're running down your path, that's everybody else trying to get there too. I mean, that's what you're running into. When you talk about the flag, the red, white, and blue, I mean, it's the red, white, and blue because you have to beat us to death. You have to beat us red, white, and blue before, I mean, and then once that happens, we're going to come after you, right? It's the, the, the red is the, the blood of the fallen and the white is the tears of the, the ones that are, are still around pushing the line, that kind of thing. It all represents something different to, to everybody. But when you, when you get underneath all of that, I mean, the verbiage and whatnot, it's the same. And that's why this, this country is the way it is. It's why we can cha- change power every four to eight years and just keep going. That's, that's what it's all about is keep going. And it, it, down to the choice and down to where you're from, man, it's just keep going. Yeah, and I think certain circumstances and opportunity. Amen, brother. And I think circumstances <laughs> and opportunity impose choice moments on us more often than not. Like as a female executive growing up in business, you had to make those choices like, hey, am I going to resist or am I going to kind of relent uh, more often than some others? And I think that's if there's one exportable thing that the listeners can hear on this is like, hey, listen, it would be disingenuous and dishonest to say that some people's circumstances and opportunity aren't as significant in others but the choice is always yours and what you find is when you keep making that choice to resist and and drive on instead of just relent to your circumstances that's what you're going to get there's this remember brennan mcdonough he said that on the podcast one time and it was that first run he was on and mm-hmm. he was so far behind everybody and, and his uh his commander came up behind him and, and said hey if you quit now you'll quit on your daughter for the rest of your life for him that was that pivot yeah, moment and, and all the listeners can associate with those never quit moments, which is why the whole dang show is calls this is like, you're going to have an opportunity to quit. What are you going to do? That's what Bud's does. Bud's gives you as many opportunities to quit as you need to decide that you're not going to quit. <laughs> and that's what your life well, has been about. Isn't it? Uh, you know, um, you know, I said, I've said many times that, uh, you know, I always feared what people would say about me. And I think a lot of girls and women care about that. What other people think, what other people are going to say, guys do as well. But absolutely, um, women tend to really fixate on that sometimes. What, what do other people say or think? To the point you just made, what other people say, what other people think about you, what they do about you does not define you. The only thing that defines each one of us are our choices. Mm. We here in this nation have the opportunity to define ourselves and we define ourselves through our choices. The choice to work with others, the choice to focus on problem solving, the choice to be brave and work through our fear. Every single one of those is a choice. Yeah, We have them. Amen. You know what? Um, this is probably a good place to try to wrap up. And the last thing we always like to get out of our, our guests is, is some practical points of advice that, uh, that the listeners can take with them. And you just gave us one fast, fantastic one right there. Do you think you could lay uh, maybe one or two more for, because uh, I know there's, I know that just hit somebody out there. And is there anything else that uh, has just really made an impact in your life as really um, something that you were, you know, 
if you were to, to create a bulletized list of pay attention to these things as you go through life? Find your gifts. Everyone has them. We are all gifted by God. Find them. Find them. Use them. And the only way to find and use your gifts is to challenge yourself. Awesome. Run to the problem. Run to the challenge. It's the only way you test yourself. Find your gifts. Use them. I love that. And trust other people. Rely on other people. Believe in other people. Which takes guts, by the way. I mean, believing in other people is is courage. It's courageous because... The only reason you wouldn't is because you're afraid of them letting you down, which goes back to our fear deal. So make a choice that you're willing to deal with consequences of people disappointing you because that takes guts to bet on people. Absolutely. It is true. Absolutely. Uh, that depends. I mean, yeah, that goes a long way. If you if you put your faith in somebody to because you want them to carry you and you adapt everything they are, never let your somebody else's perception become your reality, that kind of thing. But if you are know what you are and then you meet somebody, I mean – I can't even remember the right. way the friends thing goes. But when you see a when you meet a friend, it's not the years that you spend together that that you figure out your friend. You're friends from the beginning, right? You're, there's something that's drawn to each other. That's important. That yeah, absolutely. That faith in each other. Sure. Well, fantastic, Carly. Well, listen, we want we want to be great with your time. We uh, man, it, it's there's it's just, this will be one of the ones that are hard to wrap up because there's so many things to talk about. But just want to let you know that you know you you've lived out. For many decades, in the in the in view of the public, a, a never quit life, and it's and it's encouraging, and it's motivation, and inspiring to to us, and and, and want to just celebrate you and encourage you, and, and thank you for man. Well, thank you. I honestly, this has been a blessing. Oh, it's been a blessing for us. Well, it's been a blessing to have this conversation. It truly, truly has been, and uh, maybe it's good to end with where we started. The Bible tells us, our Savior tells us over and over and over again, be not afraid. That too is a choice. It is a choice not to be afraid. And God gives it to us all. So thank you. Thank you, ma'am. We appreciate you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Take care. Uh, care. All the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Here's what I tell you. That is an incredibly impressive person, um, incredibly impressive lady. The one fear that I've not overcome in my our conversation with her is I'm, I'm still afraid of women, man. I'm afraid of my wife. I'm afraid of your wife, Marcus. I don't think anybody believes that when we say that. I, I mean, I just don't think no, they, I don't they think understand. They do. I, think they, I think they're, but they, they just <laughs> That's a real thing. If they, if, if they had us on a heart rate monitor and you and I are sitting next to each other, the male came in like she was upset about something, you would see it. You would see it. Her, she came out. I was like, you go ahead, go, 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 sir. <laughs> take, take the lead, sir. <laughs> no, your reverence was definitely apparent, wasn't it? You could see it in him. Oh man, that was great. I, yeah. I, I love it when we get, when we get powerful women on like this and they, and they open up and they start talking about it because I mean, you're sitting there and they're talking about what they're afraid of and it's the same for us. I mean, I mean, we kind of hurdle those same things together just the competition with the guys is 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 more intense because of our size and the testosterone i mean it's we're just continuing but the whole time she was talking about i was like man i was afraid of that too afraid of that afraid of that but then 
Yeah, she's right, man. Every time you get through that, it's it's one more rung up that, that ladder. I think an interesting difference there, too, is perhaps, at least just based on this, her fears seem to be um, a lot more maybe emotionally based. I think with men, it tends to maybe yeah, at least have a greater majority of a your fears being based on right. physical reality, yeah, or maybe deep. that's just our yeah. experience. No, that's rabbit's hole deep. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. Right? Yeah, yeah. I stand corrected. I mean, what do you think, Clint? No, I, I think I think women are, are more intuitive and, and more, I think in some ways they're, they're concerned about some of the right things, and we're concerned about some of the, like, the unrealistic things. Like, you know, I, I do think it's interesting uh, when we work with people up in the company at the shoot house and all these other things, one of the things we do with women is we tell them to pay attention to that voice that the world told them to stop listening to. And once they do that, they start shooting, moving, and communicating in a way that they didn't even know was possible. And a lot of times they start doing better than the men in the shoot house because, you know, we haven't had to unlearn every action movie they've ever seen. And, and, and women, you know, the, the gender disparity, the, the disparity between successful men and women, and, you know, mm-hmm. that's how companies like, um, gosh, what's the name of the company? But they turn the whole fight like a girl on its ear, and they showed like Leila Ali, and the fact that, you know, that's an expectation now, and there's permission for, for my daughters have permission now to pursue. There's, I never tell my daughters what they can't do. I talk about, hey, what you should and what you shouldn't do. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that, but it's not because you can't, right? And that's a better conversation. Let's talk about what you should and shouldn't do, not what you can and can't do. Because when you can't do something, that's because someone put a limitation on you or you're putting a limitation on yourself. The better conversation is say you shouldn't do that because, right? That's a conversation. I love that my daughter's, I mean, she, my seven-year-old, what she's going to be changes every day, and it's increasingly awesome, right? And the fact that there's, uh, that's a, it's a should or shouldn't conversation, not a can or can't conversation, that's directly attributable to strong women who have just kind of faced the resistance and said, no, I'm going to plant my flag. I'm going to do what I think I can do. And that's, you know, we see that in, in, in race, and we see that in and that's what I love. I love the fact that, you know, talk about stuff now that needs to get talked about. It doesn't mean we change anything because maybe we don't need to change, but we do talk about it. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, something else I really loved about, um, it takes a lot of confidence to open up and expose yourself talking about fear the way she did. Just cold as she, you know, coming on the show like that. And that really speaks, that shows to me a lot of confidence in, in herself. Yeah. Right. A lot of self-belief. That's Paul, man. That's boasting in your weakness, man. Boasting in your weakness. I think I think this is one of the shows that listeners need to download because there's a lot of, I mean, they need to download all of them, but this is one you, you, you put in your earbuds away from your iPhone so you can listen to it because this is really cool. It's something I'm going to have my daughters listen well, to. Well, she'll, she'll speak to a lot of, I mean, I mean, the women I mean, in the audience and just people who are, yeah, look what she, all she accomplished. And it was very practical. Yeah, like it's very practically accessible. You know, she's confident. She's telling you the truth because of how calm she was when she was telling you. And she didn't have to, re- she had to regurgitate yeah. it. She had to think about it. That's how you know when you're talking to somebody and they're looking at you, man, there ain't no pauses mm. and the inflection and, and how they describe something. That's how you know they've experienced it instead of read it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for me, the three takeaways that she said and kind of the, the, how I love how we wrap that up is, you know, first know this, you know, just if you're feeling fear, everyone else in the room is too. There's just people who are honest about it and people who aren't. The second is know your gifts. I thought that was really important. It's just be really self-aware and understand what you're gifted for because that's where you're going to fit into the tribe the best and make the biggest contribution. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the third one, you know, trust in people, not not as an individuals, but in people as a resource. But, and I love mm-hmm. that she talked about how at the end of the day, 
there's been individuals that have disappointed her, but people as the first resource to solve problems have never disappointed her. And I, I got to tell you, Marcus, you and I have been in all of the world, Wizard, you too. There are great people everywhere you go. It's just a question of are there are more great people, more bad people than great people, but there's great people literally everywhere uh, we've been. And, and, you know, they're the, that, that's where the, that's where the solutions lie. So those are three things that we can use tomorrow, right? This afternoon. And, and that's why mm-hmm. I think it's so valuable about that. Absolutely. So, man, I, we talk about this, you, yeah, you find your gift and then your friends, your friends will help you turn that gift into, you know, treasure, everything. You. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to open that up and let you go. And the whole thing about being afraid and, and thinking that everybody else in the room has fear. You've been to a fight. You know what people go to a pro fight? people go to fights? It's the presence of death, right? It's the fear. The, the that fear is so thick you can cut it. And then when the fighters come in, the walk they're doing, I mean, just the two of those guys are putting off so much intensity that it it gets thicker, man. You can just feel it like that. Hell, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, man. I mean, and that's that it don't don't think for one second you're the only one in the room that's going through that. Otherwise you wouldn't feel it, right? If every everything was everything, it, it wouldn't even be there. So you're right. There's an energy in those arenas. Oh man, dude. Well, people... it doesn't even have to be an arena. It could be no. It could be any fight. It could be. It can be in a bar room, yeah, in a man. street. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, that's There's your... a very unique in- energy there. No, no doubt. No, it's about to happen, man. Trust that. That's your spidey yeah. sense going off and whatnot. So, yeah, that's really important, and I, I've relied on that my entire life. So, I mean, for that, God, to close us up. Thank you for that gift, and for the gift of all my friends to help me live out my life and carly great job thank you so much for coming on here you're an inspiration to all and uh, i know so many people are going to take a lot of things away from this clint thanks for stepping in brother man as always and wizard yeah thanks clint. to you brother what do you got to say yeah my pleasure you know like i said yeah consistently thanks for my bride my girls my, my god opportunity to have friends like marcus and you and, and brother morgan and and all this other stuff we're 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 fortunate for you fantastic i'm out i'm out